This is the John Oakley Show podcast. Clipping right along on the Friday edition. Here comes the weekend, and weather-wise, uh, we're going to get actually more moderate temperatures, even some rain on Sunday for the Super Bowl. It's a good thing it's played indoors. But that's in Atlanta. Well, they're actually saying, you know, uh, they may open the dome there in Atlanta, the Mercedes-Benz Dome, uh, because it's hovering right around the temperature, I guess, 60 degrees, where that's sort of the barometer, not the barometer, the, the threshold where they'd open the thing. Uh, and they also have the military fly past, you know, during the opening ceremonies and whatever, like the B-1 comes by, the stealth bomber, and <laughs> it passes, and it's long gone. It's already uh, in the the hangar, and then you hear the sound. That's one of those deals, but uh, they're going to open it, I think, for that. And it opens and closes in like eight minutes, unlike our dome, which takes like an hour and a half. Uh, but this is a modern facility. That's on Sunday. I'm going to talk about the Super Bowl in different uh, iterations here or s- certain segments of it, like Maroon 5 and a halftime show. Huh? I don't know who uh, made that decision, but uh, and some spots that are going to be airing, and uh, I'm guessing that's probably the real attraction of this game. Some people actually just watch the the ads when they're posted on YouTube, don't care a lick about football. However, before we get to all of that, there are some uh, serious issues before me here, and uh, one includes uh, a Sergeant Paul Gauthier scheduled to appear before the Toronto Police Tribunal Tuesday to be formally charged with neglect of duty and insubordination. This dials into the MacArthur investigation, where the lead investigator actually brought it to the attention of the Toronto Police Professional Standards Unit for a big internal probe. Uh, It raises the question of whether or not some things fell through the cracks through neglect or insubordination, and uh, what does that mean in terms of legal implications. Let's find out for sure. Joseph Newberger has joined us on the line. He's Global News Radio's law expert with Newberger and Partners. Joe, how you doing? I'm great, John. How are you? Pretty good, but uh, curious to know uh, what might happen in a case like this. And I know it's a police tribunal matter. Yeah. And uh, if an officer, and let's just even from this specific case to the general, uh, is found in uh, neglect of duty and uh, allowed something to, you know, go missing or didn't follow up and on an investigative matter, and then suddenly more people are killed. I'm not saying this is the case, but I'm just speculating now uh, in general terms. Does that leave uh, things open for a pot- potential civil suit? Possibly. Uh, you know, we, we'll find out more once um, the charges are officially you know, laid on, on Monday when he appears before the tribunal. So, if there was fairly, something fairly significant, which uh, he failed to follow and was directed to follow as, as some part of an investigation, um, that can be quite serious. And so he could be facing um, a quite serious repercussions in the uh, police tribunal. But it is also a fairly clear hint that there have been mistakes with the way Toronto police had handled the investigation into missing persons in that community. And that's what the, uh, the community has been complaining about for some time now. And it looks like that this internal investigation, which is ongoing, and then also the, the actual review, will probably have some teeth to it, because if they're uncovering uh, some information now, uh, it looks like they'll probably uncover something else, and there will be fairly good lessons to be learned about how to follow up on these types of investigations. So from a civil standpoint, there, there could be liability, um, but I think right now what everybody's looking for is some accountability 
and how um, this type of these types of mistakes won't happen again. Yeah, you know the point that you're making. Let me just uh, expand on that because they say that in the case of MacArthur, he was twice spoken to uh, years before his arrest. Uh, once during a previous investigation into the disappearance of one of the victims, uh, and again in 2016 after a man reported to police that MacArthur had attempted to strangle him in a McDonald's parking lot, and then MacArthur apparently came into the station and said, no, no, it was all consensual, and I guess the desk sergeant said, oh, what the hell, he let him go And uh, rather than following up, and now the question is, uh, were other men murdered subsequent to that? afterwards and if that's the case then you know uh maybe there might be a tie-in and as i ask the potential for these families to say uh somebody missed the ball on this uh and it cost us a loved one so there's a potential for that you're saying yep there is and you know it's a good point that you raise about the 2016 allegation which is sort of shocking to others that in circumstances uh if it involved uh you know a heterosexual couple for example um charges would be laid immediately. So it does cause uh, some considerable concern as to what did happen, and damages can flow from that. Again, with Joe Newberger, he's Global News Radio's law expert. I got another police question here, and let me just pivot. We'll find out Tuesday is when uh, this goes before, I guess, the board, and we'll know about formal charges, so we'll follow up then. But on a matter out of Montreal where uh, the Court of Appeal in that province uh, ruled on uh, a case involving an individual who had been a suspect in a series of sexual assaults against Montreal sex workers. And uh, they had this idea that it might be this certain individual. So they tricked up a meeting uh, in 2008 uh, to have him come in on, on the pretext that this was just a business meeting, but an undercover cop, you know, sitting there and they're talking and having coffee. And then the cop says, the undercover police officer, uh, let me just clear the table, takes the coffee cups away from the table, one of which this individual is drinking from, and they run a DNA test. And it shows that there's a likelihood that this DNA matched that found on some of the uh, victims of the assault. In other words, long story short, uh, they follow up and uh, nail this guy. He pleads in court that his constitutional rights had been violated, in particular the protection against unreasonable search and seizure, and that he also enjoyed an expectation of privacy. Uh, Two of the judges uh, said no, but one sort of uh, agreed in part with that. Uh, How do you see it from a legal perspective? This is fairly consistent with other cases in the past which which have dealt with the abandonment of items of which your DNA is on. So like a cigarette, a coffee cup, uh, you know, a, a can of Coke, and where there is an abandonment of that item. So in other words, the person is no longer expecting to keep it or use it or putting it in some location where you can make an argument about a reasonable expectation of privacy. This is a public place, and if he shows no interest in retaining the cup for whatever reason, you know, I think fairly the court can determine factually that he has abandoned uh, his use of that cup and therefore it's throwaway DNA where he's not enjoying any privacy to it. One can sort of see, because this was all a setup, um, with the idea of getting the individual's DNA. So within that context, one can see that there is an element of search and seizure, but there clearly is, from what I can see from the facts that I've read so far, there clearly is an abandonment of the the use of that cup and therefore the DNA or bodily sample which is on it. So this is fairly consistent. You know, I've advised clients before that, you know, beware if you throw your cup in a public, you know, recycling 
box or whatever, you're abandoning your right to that DNA. And this is, I think, fairly consistent. It just seems a bit different because of the sting operation that the police put into place. But pretty smart operation, I got to say. Well, and that was the case, too. If you recall, there was a story of the uh, 10-year-old who was lured away uh, in the junction about 15 years ago, 15, 20 years ago. And the individual that the police had under surveillance had been drinking a can of cola with a straw and dumped it in the garbage can. And uh, that's how they nailed him. Yeah, and that's fair game. It's, It's an abandonment. Uh, it's an abandonment in a public receptacle, and it's fair game for the police to get. It's a throwaway DNA. They're totally entitled to do it. And the only difference here, as I said, was this was a setup, but it was a very sophisticated, smart setup, and he abandoned his right to his own bodily samples. Joe Newberger is with us, and finally, let's talk about an abandonment of common sense and reason. Uh, I've got to ask, this story that uh, Michelle Mandel wrote about in SunPost Media News of uh, a great-grandmother, 89 years of age, uh, who was murdered by her crack addict neighbor, lived across the hall, and uh, to whom the grandmother was rather gracious and generous, and uh, this crack addict decided, I guess, because uh, she needed money for drugs or what, went in and tried to rob uh, the woman and ended up stabbing her 149 times. And, yeah. uh, right, uh, yeah. this woman, or this woman, this addict uh, served just over five years uh, in jail. I guess she's now uh, looking at some type of parole. Uh, it was a plea deal, by the way, that she cobbled uh, together, second-degree murder, but she pled guilty to manslaughter. That's which right, yeah. Sentenced her to 12 years, but uh, pleading it down because 1.5 uh, credit t- time and a half for every day spent in pretrial custody, that left with seven years and eight months still to serve. But here she is. Less than three years later, uh, she's been released on day parole, and is living in a halfway house in the GTA. This is unconscionable, Joe. I mean, what do we say? I keep mentioning that it's not a justice system, it's a legal system, and it sounds cynical, but, I mean, what are we to impute from this? Yeah, it's hard for me to argue the other side on this one. Um, It's a very horrific uh, killing. And um, I'm not privy to the actual judgment on the manslaughter, because there must have been some very good reason uh, to plead this down to a manslaughter, although I, I hope there was, um, because 149 stab wounds in circumstances of some attempted burglary or, or robbery would automatically be a murder. So there, you know, there's some concern. But let's let's just say that there was a solid legal basis and good reason to resolve this for a manslaughter. You would imagine that given the horrific nature of the killing and probably what is a significant criminal record for this individual, whether they've suffered you know, ills or not, one would imagine that they would be spending more time in custody and availing themselves of programming, uh, maybe geared at uh, rehabilitation, vocational addiction, et cetera. But uh, it is a little early for a release on such a horrific case, and I understand the public outcry on this. And and sometimes there's no real rhyme or reason when I when trying to compare parole on certain cases versus others. Um, you know, when you're dealing with particular violence and risk, it's a different circumstance than, let's say, somebody serving time for a drug case. So I am perplexed by this. I, and, you know, I'm leaning on your side, John. I'm not, from a public standpoint, it's really quite hard to understand how early this individual got out. And I would imagine it would somebody who would go close to their mandatory release.
Yeah, and you know, it's interesting and instructive to me that the last two or three occasions where we've spoken of such cases, uh, you always come back with that rejoinder. There might be some reason why yeah. even you're perplexed or flummoxed by uh, what went down here. I can't think of any reason, uh, and I mean, apart from you seeing her, this uh, perpetrator, 149 stab t- uh, wounds, that somehow she's crack adult and therefore we've got to give her the benefit of the doubt or uh, it's a mitigating factor. It's outrageous uh, on the face of it. in any way you want to look at it, uh, it seems to me that uh, the family is justified in their outrage as is the public. Anybody with a conscience would see it in that light. And I'm uh, heartened to see that uh, even you in the legal profession can't figure yeah. this one out. <laughs> yeah, it's difficult. And, and I will say, so the listeners understand, you know, when, when contemplating a release, or parole. There are workers and there's sophisticated people in the jail system who run risk assessments. She must have been part of programming. So that's why I say there's got to be some reason. There's a judgment we're not privy to and documents we're not privy to. But just on its face, it's really difficult to reconcile this. I get it. Well, look, for the uh, psychic gratification of the public at large, punishment itself must be significant. I mean, to sit there and say, well, you know, maybe she's done all the programs and she looks like a model citizen now and or prisoner and behaved herself and we have to give her the benefit of the doubt and a second chance. I still maintain that uh, anything shy of, my God, it's murder, 149 times you're stabbing somebody, you know, 25 years uh, seems about appropriate and uh, I don't care about all the other stuff. Does, does that make me hard-hearted? No, not necessarily. I mean, there's certain offenses, and this is for society to decide. And this is, you know, you elect the government, and then you want to dictate what type of criminal law policy should be, be put in place and properly thought out. And I think it's appropriate if society says, look, for certain heinous offenses, denunciation is the most important, and we've got to focus on denunciation and deterrence, and therefore sentences have to be meaningful. I think it's a legitimate democratic position if that's what the public is saying. And, you know, courts will have to deal with yeah, you know, what laws are put in place by our by our government. That being said, again, I'm not sure what went on behind the scenes with the uh, the parole. And, you know, it'd be interesting to see if it would be released publicly so we could understand it better. Right. And uh, maybe uh, posit our own opinions of the people on the board. Hey, Joe, it's always mm-hmm. great. Uh, you're the best. I appreciate your joining uh, us. I love you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll talk on the other side of the weekend. You enjoy yours. You too. Take care, John. Thank you. Joseph Newberger, Global News Radio's law expert with Newberger and Partners. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.